Good morning, church. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to read from Psalm 26. If anyone do not have Bible, you can grab one from the table at the back. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, Though the mountains tremble with its tumult, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of the city. It shall not be moved. God will help it when the morning dawns. The nations are in the uproar. The kingdom totter. He utters his voice and earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord. See what desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still. And know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Amen. Well, good morning, church. Great to see you all here. Thanks for coming to this morning. My name is Mark. If you don't know, I'm one of the elders here at church. And it's just a real privilege, let me say, to be able to open God's Word with you guys. I love doing it. And I love that you're here with me to go on a journey and look what God's going to teach us. Hey, listen, you don't need me to tell you that we live in a pretty messed up world, don't we? You know, and in this messed up world that we live in, there are numbers that are really important for us to remember, aren't they? Now, kids, I want to ask you a question this morning. What's the most important number that mum tells you to ring when you get in trouble? Now, don't shout out mum's number. People don't want to know your mum's number. Well, what's the number that you're told to ring? Zero, zero, zero. That's good. Now, adults, if you're in America and you're in trouble, what's the number you ring? 911, that's right. You see, numbers are important. And you know, and I wish that I had actually learned a number a few, even last year. Because here I was, get this, I was at work and I realized that I had to get a special, important message to my wife. And as I looked down for my phone, I realized that someone at my home, and there's only three people living at my home to this now, had taken the phone off charge. Don't you hate that when someone takes your phone off charge? And so here I am with a desperate message to my wife and my phone is flat. So what am I going to do? Well, I looked over and I saw my apprentice. Here he was, this rotten little kid with his phone in his ear. He's not supposed to have the phone in his ear. So I grabbed the apprentice, grabbed the phone off his ear and I started to realise that he doesn't have my wife's number in his phone either. (laughs) To my shame, I didn't know my wife's phone number. Now, don't shame on me because I think there's plenty of blokes in here that don't know their wife's number either. But you know what? Numbers are important. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a very important number. It's a number when life seems to crash around us that we need to run to. It's a number when maybe fear and anxiety come in. It's the number that we need to run to. 
It's the number that we can run to and find rest. Find the rest that God wants for you. So I want you to follow with me this morning. We're looking at, obviously, Psalm 46. It's a very important number to remember. Now, if we're going to fully understand Psalm 46, we need to understand the context. We need to understand what was happening around when it was written. Now, it was written around 701 BC, and it was written in the wake of one of the great victories of Jerusalem. See, what was happening at this time in Jerusalem was the Assyrian nation had come and surrounded Jerusalem. They besieged Jerusalem. And you need to understand that the Assyrians were incredibly feared people. They were the most feared nation of the day. They conquered everyone that came before them, and they ruled and they conquered by fear. These guys were incredibly evil. What they would often do when they besieged the city is they would send in a tablet. You'll see it come up. And on the tablet, there was these graphic illustrations showing what they were going to do to their captors. They were famous for impaling people, putting people down on these sticks. They were famous for flaying them, which is basically skinning people alive. They were famous for amputating, and they were horrendously famous for what they would do to women and children, which we're not even going to mention this morning. These guys had mastered the art of psychological warfare, and the people of Jerusalem were in absolute fear, absolute fear for their life. So it's interesting to note and ask the question, where do they turn to? And to actually personalise it, where do we run when the enemy's at the gate? You know, we mightn't be facing the Assyrians knocking on our door, but we're facing so many other things, aren't we? And for you today, it might be a health threat. You today, it might be your kids giving you grief or your job or maybe not finding a job or the interest rate high. There are so many things stealing our rest and our joy in what God wants for us. You see, these are real fears, and they can and do rob us of the rest that God wants for you. You know, and that's why I love this psalm. That's why I love Psalm 46 so much, because I love seeing what God's people do, and I love seeing what God does. And that's why I want you to remember the number 46. Remember Psalm 46, because... When we're going through this psalm and we want to find rest, we need to know who God is. We need to know who God is. And this psalm tells us incredibly. In verse 1, look what it says. It says, God is our refuge and strength. He's an ever-present help in trouble. Church, this is a beautiful way that they're describing our God. The first thing they say about God is that he is our refuge. Now, refuge, as Ali's already explained, is a beautiful place where we can go to to find peace. It's a place where often they could run to and be safe. It's a place where they could go to and find safety where nobody else could touch them. You know, I saw a film recently, and it was about a priest in World War II. And this priest in World War II lived in the Vatican City in Rome. Now, he was an incredibly brave priest, and he spent his day helping the Jews and helping the Allied soldiers get out of Rome and back to safety. He was one of the most wanted men in Rome. Now, the Nazis, the thing was, the Nazis knew where he lived. The Nazis could see where he lived. 
They could see him walking around the courts, the outer courts in the Vatican. And they even had rifles pointed at this man waiting for him to step out of the Vatican City. You see, the thing about the Second World War was the Vatican City was neutral and the Nazis could not enter it. And so the priest, what he would do is he would leave the Vatican City under the cover of night or in disguise and he would go and help the people with incredible danger to his own life. But then at night, he would sneak back into the Vatican City because there he was safe. There, nobody could touch him. There, he was safe to be himself. And you see, church, that's the picture. That's the description here that they're saying of God. And it's a beautiful picture of our God, isn't it? That God is there with his arms open wide and he's saying to us, you can come to me. You can come to me with all your worries. You can come to me with all your sin. You can come and find refuge and acceptance and love in my arms. Now notice also what he describes in verse 1. That he's not only God, he's not only our refuge, but he's our strength. And he's our ever-present help in trouble. You know, I think so often living in Australia, we fall into the trap, don't we? Of thinking that our, our, our country is our strength. That our health and our jobs and the economy and all these great things that we have are our strength. But you know, one of the things that I've been discovering as I get older... And I'm now cracking 55. I know you're going to find it hard to believe, but I'm 55. And I've been discovering that I'm not as healthy as I thought I used to be. You know, when I was growing up in my older days, I never went to the doctors. I never went to a specialist. But for the last few years, man, I've been a frequent flyer. Man, I've been there and I've been reading Woman's Weekly. I can tell you what the princess wore last week, let me tell you, because I've been in these doctors' surgeries so often. You know, as you get older, and I think most men could realise that things just don't do what they used to do when we get older. Hey, men, they just don't. And I'm realising that it's not my own strength that I can rely on. It's actually God is my strength. Because mine's failing. And the more we realise that God is my strength and God is my ever-present help. Notice that he says that he is ever-present you know, he's not just there when we're good. He's not just there when we, you know, haven't sinned or lived a good week. He's our ever-present help. You know, I love what Jesus did with his disciples. You know, remember the end of Jesus' day in Matthew 28. Jesus is leaving. Jesus knows his disciples are weak, sinful men who had let him down in his greatest hour of need. But what does Jesus promise them? Jesus promises them in Matthew 28, verse 20. And he said, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's the God that we follow, church. Now, why is it? Why can we stand on that when the enemy's at the door? Because that's who God is. That's the God we follow. The God who we love and follow is the God who's told us to be with us, our ever-present hope. And that is why we can rest in who God is. That's why we can rest in that. He goes on in verse 2, what does he say? He says, therefore, he says, therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountain fall into the heart of the sea, Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Basically, what they're saying there, 
what they're reminding themselves there of who God is, the character of God. Because if God is our refuge, if God is our strength, if God is our helper, then truly what it's saying, that it doesn't really matter what the doctor says. It doesn't really matter, you know, what the interest rate does. It doesn't really matter. It says there that if the mountains fall into the sea, it says there that we do not have to live in fear. Yes, there are consequences for our health. Yes, there are consequences with the interest rates. Yes, there are consequences. But he's saying there that even if the world collapses, we do not need to live in fear. Why, church? Why? Well, let me tell you. I'll tell you something really obvious. This is not our home. Understand that, church. This is not our home. We act and believe it's our home, but it's not our home. It's not where we're going to spend the next thousand years. It's not where we're going to spend the next thousand years after that, and after that, and after that. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, if you're a believer here this morning, if you've given your life to Jesus, and you believe that he died on that cross for you, you believe that he rose on the grave for you, if you've committed your life to following him, then guess what? We're going to live in eternity. We're going to live in our real home in heaven. You see, church, it's not that bad an outcome. And what the psalm here is doing is it's reminding us to take our eyes off our problems, to take our eyes off the Assyrians, and to put our eyes back on God. And it's then you will find rest. It's then you'll find rest no matter what is happening in your life. You see, the next part of the psalm in verses 4 to 7, it goes on to remind us that the people of Jerusalem, that they can rest because God has them firmly in his hand. Basically, God's got them. Look what it says in verse 4. It said, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. It says, God is within her, and she will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, as we look at that description there, it's a little bit confusing, isn't it? And I think when we look at it, we need to understand that Jerusalem, the city, was not situated on a river. You know, one of the things, though, when the armies would besiege a city is that they would cut off the water supply and the people would die of thirst. In 2 Kings 18, which is the passage which is talking about what we're reading about in the Psalms here, there is a prediction there. This is what the prediction was, that the people of Jerusalem would have to eat their own excrement and drink their own urine. So it was a pretty serious issue, wasn't it, that the, the Jerusalem people were facing? So why were they singing about this river? Why were they singing about a river with streams that make glad the city of God? Well, the king of Jerusalem then was a man called Hezekiah. He'd been a king of Judah for many years. And unlike many of the kings before him, he was a good and faithful king. He did what was right in the eyes of God. Now, in wisdom, on hearing that the Assyrians were coming, he decided that he was going to block up the Gihon Spring. This is the spring on the outskirts of Jerusalem. Now, he blocked it up and he diverted the water into the city, into the pool of Siloam. Now, the tunnel that they dug is an incredible engineering feat. 
The engineers today do not understand how they were able to build this tunnel so quickly and so precisely. Now, last year, we had a man in Jerusalem, and he sent back a report from the Hezekiah's tunnel. And I want to show you it. Here it is now. Okay. Well, here I am. I'm, oh, it's so hard to see, but I'm, I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm in Hezekiah's tunnel. How profound this is to think that I'm actually walking the steps that um, the men of Israel who carved this tunnel out nearly 2,800 years ago. And I'm here. What an incredible thing. And just an incredible reminder of just how we can truly trust the Bible. Now, he's a rough-looking bloke, isn't he? He's a David Attenborough of our church. You know, you'd almost expect him to be wrestling a snake or something. But here he was, big Jimmy. And it's amazing to think Jimmy was actually in the tunnel that Hezekiah dug. He was the tunnel that brought the water into Jerusalem. It's an amazing tunnel. It's an amazing piece of documentary from our great man, James. But you see, church, God, as he promised, was within that city, and she will not fall. That was his promise. So what are they then? They've got water. What are they then going to do about the Assyrians? Because you've got to understand, there's still 185,000 Assyrian warriors on the outskirts of the town of Jerusalem. What are they going to do? Well, Hezekiah was a man of faith. And Hezekiah received another threatening letter. And he goes to the temple and he spreads it out before the Lord. Now, what does he do? What does King Hezekiah do? Because King Hezekiah had already tried to do it under his own strength. He'd already written a letter to the Egyptians asking the Egyptians to come and help. Not going to happen. He'd already bribed Assyria. He'd given them money, gold, and he tried to win them with money. It didn't work. So what is he going to do? Well, the King Hezekiah finally realises that the only way to solution was to go to the temple and to pray. Look what he prays in 2 Kings 9 He says this. He says, Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Go to verse 19. Now, Lord our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. And after Hezekiah prayed that prayer, do you know what happened? That night, an angel of the Lord went and put 185,000 Assyrians in that camp to death. When the Assyrian king woke that morning and he saw the death all around him, he withdrew and he went back to Nineveh. You know, church, I love reading those Old Testament accounts. And I love reading them because I think it makes us so aware of the God that we follow. Because I think so often we, we water God down, don't we? And we've made God into this little insipid little character that can't even control his own creation. And yet when we read those Old Testament accounts, when we remind ourselves of what God is, we see that he is God Almighty that he is God who is in control of this world. And there is no problem too great for our God. I mean, look what it says in verse 6. It says, nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Church, that night, 
one angel, not an army of angels, one angel of gods dealt with 185,000 warriors. And yet we, for some reason, live our lives in fear and worry. And that's why this week, I really want you to live a victorious life. And I really want you to remember the number. Remember Psalm 46. And the reason I want you to remember it, because it's in Psalm 46 where you're going to find rest. It's in Psalm 46 where it's going to such a powerful number as you read it and as you remind yourselves that the God that we follow isn't some insipid God who cannot deal with your problems. He is the mighty God, the almighty God of this world who speaks, and what does it say? The earth melts. And we, just like the Israelites, can rest because when we realize that God has got us, that God has got you. It's a beautiful thing to think on, to rest on. Now look, the last point that I want you to see and the last point is, you know, we've, we've already said that we rest when we know who God is. We rest when we realize that God is in control. And the last thing we realize is that we rest, in verse 10, when we just be still. Look what it says. It says, be still and know that I am God. Now, for many of us here, and I've got to say me included here, the word still it's almost a swear word, isn't it? It's almost a swear word. I mean, I like to be busy. I'm a busy sort of a person. If you know me, you would know that. You know, and if I was to put on my psychological hat and actually analyze myself, it's probable that I struggle to be still because when I'm still, I don't feel important. When I'm still, I'm not contributing. When I'm still, I feel like I'm not fixing anything. When I'm still, I feel like that I'm not in control. And if I'm still, I actually feel like I have to trust others. I actually have to trust God when I'm still. And for me, it's incredibly difficult to do. But you see, God is so good, isn't he, at reminding us. He's so good at confronting us. And he's been confronting me that I just need to chill out. That I just need at times to be still. I just need to be still and to know that I'm God. You see, notice there that he doesn't say, hey, when the enemy's at the gate, you can be still and still be anxious. They don't go together. He doesn't say that you can be still and you can still be freaking out. No, he doesn't say that at all. He says, be still and know, church, know that I am God. To know that you are not in control. You're not in control. You see, you're not in control of your, your health. You can contribute to being in control, but you're not in control. God is in control. You can contribute about, you know, and think you're in control of your job. Yes, you can do a good job, but you're not in control. God is in control. And who is God? Why can I trust him? Well, I want you to head back to verse 8. In verse 8, it's there, and learn an incredible life lesson. Now, in verse 8, remember the Assyrians are at the gate. The psalmist does something. And it's something that obviously helped them. And I'm going to tell you, it's something that's helped me personally in my life. Look what he says in verse 8. He says, Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations that he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and he shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. And notice there that it's he, God, 
He, God, is the one that makes the war cease. It says he is the one that breaks the bow. It says he is the one that burns the shields. You see, it's not me. It's not Mark Penner. But it's he, God. And church, I really believe that we need to remind ourselves of this daily. And the best way to remind ourselves of this daily is what? It's to be still and know that I am God. And let me give you a tip here this morning. You're never going to know this if you spend all of your spare time with your head down doing this. You're never going to have that time. And I encourage us as a church, get off social media and be still and know that I am God. You know, when I was pastoring, I found that I had to get alone with God more and more. And the weeks that I was preaching, I had especially had to get away from God. I don't think I've ever told you this before, but the weeks that I was preaching at church, I found incredibly difficult. I really, really struggled with sermon preparation. You know, it was like being in a spiritual battle where Satan would come and he would fill my mind with doubt. He would fill my mind with fear. He would fill me with, you've got nothing to say. You're going to get up and you're going to look an idiot. You've got nothing to say. You don't understand this passage. And all these doubts and fears would come into my mind. And Satan was very, very good at that. And I would get mental blocks and I would sit in front of the computer. I'd sit in front of the Bible and I'd be there for hours. And I'm saying hours and I'd write a few sentences And Sunday was getting closer and closer and the stress levels were getting higher and higher and I was getting grumpier and grumpier. Just ask my wife. It was an incredibly difficult time and I actually dreaded it. I hated it. And I'd often think, man, why don't I just go back and be a carpenter? So much easier. But you know how I handled it? You know what I did? Was that I would be still before God and I would remind myself of who God was. And the most important thing that I reckon I did is I reminded what God, myself, what God had already done in my life. You see, I've been preaching for a long, long time. And I had to remind myself that never once have I got up on a Sunday morning and had nothing to say. Never once have I got up on a Sunday morning and uh, uh, I've got nothing to say. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, I've been able to mumble and bumble my way through many a sermons. And for me, it was greatly encouraging to remind myself, like, okay, Mark, God's got you here. But he's never let you down before. He's going to come through for you again. And it was the same here for the Israelites. Because the Israelites were saying there, come and see the works of the Lord. Be reminded of God and what he's done. The desolations that he's brought on the earth. He was the one that makes the wars end. He was the one that breaks the bow. And when we remind ourselves of that church, there is an incredible rest that comes on you. There's an incredible effect on your life where you can just take a breath. And remind yourself that God has got you when we be still and when we know that he is God. You see, church, there's a real danger here this morning. And you know, the danger here this morning is that you're going to hear a message like this and you're going to walk out those doors and you're going to walk back into a life full of stress, a life full of worry, a life full of unknown, depression for some of us, addiction for some of us. 
And you're going to be wondering, how in the world am I ever going to find this rest? How in the world am I ever going to find it? Well, if you really want it, if you really want that rest that we're talking about here that you can have with God, you can have in your life, then today you need to make a decision. Because it's not going to happen by chance. And it's not going to happen by magic. You need to make a decision. You need to carve out some time in your life. You need to carve out and make time so that you can practice being still. You need to remind yourself who God is. We need to remind ourselves what God has done. And we need to rest in that. You know, this week again, I've had to put it to the test. And I had to remember the number 46 and go over it and remind myself and run to it. And I want us as followers of Jesus to run to that psalm, to run to it because it's here we're reminded of who God is. And it's here where we're going to find that rest at God's feet when we be still and know that I am God. Because God is our refuge. God is our strength. God is our ever-present help. And God is almighty God and we can rest in his arms. And so for this morning, just for a moment, I want us just to have a breath. I want all of us just to close our eyes. Church, close your eyes with me this morning because I really want this for you. I want us this morning just maybe to ask God in the quietness of your hearts. I would ask that God would convict you. What in your life do you need to get rid of? What in your life do you need to change to carve out some time this week to just be still? You know, it's no good going before God when we're all stressed, when we haven't done the most obvious thing, and that is to come to God, to lay it all out before him, to call on his strength, and to remember what he's done for you, to remember who he is. And so I just ask now in the quietness of this place, you just ask God now, God, what do I need to do? What do I need to get rid of? What time can I make for you this week? Lord God, I thank you so much that you, your amazing love for me, and your amazing love for my beautiful brothers and sisters here, that you actually want to speak to us. That we can sit before you and spend time with you in your arms, with no condemnation, but just love. Love as a child of yours. And so, Lord, I want to pray for my beautiful brothers here and sisters here that this week, that they would make a decision, that they are going to take something out of their life, their busy life. We're all busy. And they're going to make a decision now. Don't leave it till tonight. Don't leave it till tomorrow. Make the decision now. Where am I going to spend that time this week with God? Because I really pray that my brothers and sisters here would read Psalm 46. Read it every day. Take you a few minutes.
But Lord God, I pray that they would read Psalm 46 and that would be an incredible refreshment to their soul. That that would encourage them, that that would bless them and they would be reminded of who you are, the great God of this world and who they are before you. And Lord God, I want to pray here this morning too for anyone here who doesn't know you, who doesn't know this Jesus, this God that we've been talking about who is rest and offering rest. Then if that's you here this morning, if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus, you've never bowed your knee before God, the great King of Kings, that you've never known what it is to experience his forgiveness and his love and his open arms welcome you in, then Lord, I pray today, this very moment, that if there's anyone here in this place, that they would make a decision to come before the King and give their life to him. So that they would realise that they are a sinner in need of a saviour. And that today would be the day where they bow their knee and give their life to you, Lord God. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would convict them, convict them now. And so, Lord, as we go this week, we go in your power, we go in your strength, and may whatever we face this week, may we bring back the beautiful numbers of 46. May we remember it, may we rest in it, and may we rest in your beautiful, refuge-loving, ever-present help. We ask it in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening, church. We're going to sing a great song.